Welcome to Updates from the Field, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. My name is Paul Snyder. I am a missionary in Papua, Indonesia. I'm also working with HeartCry Missionary Society, and I've been serving in Indonesia for the last 10 years. And my name is Matt Glass. I also am a missionary in Indonesia with HeartCry Missionary Society. I want to thank you for joining us today, and we're going to be talking a little bit. Uh, you know, Matt and I have a lot of history together because not only do we work in the same country, mm -hmm. different ends of the spectrum in the country, but we've done a lot together. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that, mm -hmm. uh, about some of the needs and uh, some of the fruit that has been born through the efforts of uh, the work there, mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of talk about Indonesia and so that you can pray better uh, and be involved in more of the needs there. So it's good to be with you, Matt. It's good to be with you, Paul. So before we begin, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of things uh, as missionaries that happen on the field. That mm -hmm. happens a lot um, in our conversations. and. Uh, one of the things that I like to talk about uh, regarding missions is, you know, you you were called, and so was I, as to go as a preacher of the gospel. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that is our goal. That's what we want to do. That is our desire, mm -hmm. is to open the scriptures and just preach Christ. Yeah. Teach the people good, solid, biblical doctrine. Yeah. Um, tell us, I want to ask you, uh, from your perspective, because you've been on the field for how long now? It's been... Ten in, years plus? Yeah, in, in July it was ten years. Okay, so yeah. what? give a little bit of a brief history um, as to how the Lord took you within Indonesia, because you've been with HeartCry yeah. for quite a while. I mean, you were pretty much at yeah. the beginning stages with HeartCry. Yeah. yeah. What has that been, 15, 16 yeah, plus so years? Yeah, so I have, uh, I think it was in 2006, I started working with HeartCry just in the office um, as a coordinator. And so whenever I started working with HeartCry, my wife and I had already been praying about one day moving overseas. That was just a, a burden that we had felt, even, uh, even from our college days when we first mm -hmm. got to know one another. And so I started working for HeartCry and I was traveling to different parts of, especially in Asia, places like Indonesia, Bangladesh, India, Nepal, mm. uh, Cambodia, Japan, um, just all over Asia where HeartCry was beginning to work and partner with different ministries. And after we went to e Indonesia in 2009, um, um, I shared with my wife that I felt like God was maybe moving us to that country. And so both of us started praying about it. We started talking about it. We started researching more and more mm. about Indonesia. And then um, uh, a lot of different things happened, but over the period of two years, we had, we had prayed and prepared to go to Indonesia. And then finally in 2011, we went there in July. And so that's kind of how we ended up mm. there. Now, there were a lot of people that we met along the way um, that helped us to finally end up in Indonesia. And so I, I don't want to say that it, this was just something that happened and we were able to orchestrate different events. Yeah, right. And, uh, because God really, he, he just opened the door for us to go there. It was kind of one of those things, and I've said this before, where you just look back after 10 years and you really don't know how you ended up here. Mm, but it was right. just, you, you just know that it was God who opened the door and made the way for you to do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's because you've been, I mean, you've been, I mean, Indonesia is the same 
link, if you want to use that word, is the United States, but there are yeah, thousands yeah. of islands. Yeah. You've been you've had the opportunity and privilege of going to a lot of these places and mm-hmm. discipling men and women, discipling the church, yeah. seeing churches uh, mature yeah. in uh, Christ. Yeah, I mean, t- can you? What yeah, about, in about Indonesia, that? they like to whenever they want to talk about the whole country, they say Dari Sabang sampai Merauke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I've right. literally I have yeah. traveled like from the far west of Indonesia all the way to the east of Indonesia. You've seen the broad spectrum of Papua, Indonesia, and and um, not everywhere in between, obviously, but many places in between. And so I have had these many different glimpses of the way that God is at work through the church in order to proclaim the gospel and to to teach the scriptures to God's people. And so that has been one of the most encouraging things, just to see, just to witness. I think witness is a good word, to witness how God is at work in these many different places. Mm. Well, I know I can remember you and I, uh, because we were in language school together, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you were there a little bit ahead of me at the time, but we were both learning the language. And we were able to go to certain places, to different villages, mm-hmm. and preach and teach. And uh, we used to go up into the mountains and preach. And yeah. uh, just to watch those uh, people that were hungry for God's Word, uh, uh, you wouldn't trade anything for that kind of opportunity. Yeah, absolutely not. So your purpose absolutely. your purpose and your goal as a missionary in Indonesia mm-hmm. is to... Are you taking the Second Timothy two two motto in your ministry? Yeah, I mean, I would say that our the ministry that God has given us um, it it includes many different things. Like, there's not just one thing that I'm focused on, mm-hmm. and in some ways that's good. Some ways yeah. it's bad because you feel like you're doing all of these various different things. And so really the progress that you see in each one of those things is not as as visible or evident. But but yeah, I mean our I myself when I was eighteen years old, I experienced the reality of the gospel's power in my own heart mm-hmm. and in my own life. And so so I've experienced what Romans chapter 1, verse 16 mm-hmm. talks about when it says that the gospel right. is the power of God for salvation. Right. And so our desire, I would say our primary desire is to raise up pastors, to train pastors, to teach them with the intent that these men know and they understand the gospel. Mm-hmm. Because it is that it is the power of the gospel that will bring change in people's hearts and lives. And yes. so the Second Timothy 2, chapter 2 thing is, is really one of the main focuses of what we do in Indonesia is to, to teach other pastors, not, not, not just certain things related to the gospel and salvation, but also to teach them even practical things like how to interpret the Bible, how to, um, how to, how to prepare sermons, and how to preach the scriptures. Like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a broad spectrum of things that we do teach uh, these pastors, uh, evangelists, missionaries mm-hmm. who are in Indonesia. Well, and, and, I w- and I would add in Timor-Leste as well, because sure, I, I do right, go there yeah, often Absolutely, as well. yeah, which we'll talk about, uh, yeah. because that's a huge ministry there. Yeah, See so what, what about yourself, uh, Paul? Um, I, I mean, we've talked about these things yeah. before, but how did you end up in Indonesia, and, uh, and what do you guys do in Indonesia? I mean, you've shared, I think, many different times sure, yeah. on uh, video updates with HeartCry, but maybe, oh, go, love, maybe yeah, just go into it. more detail sure. about what you guys do. Yeah, so um, I was serving in a local church in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a little Debbie route. 
and I was a new believer growing in the church and had my own business and uh -huh. able to set my own schedule. And so I would just, um, I would just take time throughout my day just to tell people about Jesus. Here's what God did for me. Here's what he can do for you. And mm -hmm. I just love telling people about my, this new faith, about the God that saved me. And as I grew in this church in North Carolina, um, I saw clearly the command uh, to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, and in Luke 10, it says the labors are few. Yeah. Well, you know, the pastor had been discipling me and grooming me and preparing these gifts that God had given me. And I saw I loved to do them over and over. And I said, well, why can't I use these gifts uh, on a field where they don't know about the name of Jesus? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, we looked at several places in the world. And what fit me is I love the outdoors and I loved being... Um, I don't mind remote places. Yeah. So we chose Papua, uh, specifically a, a lowland tribal group. Yeah. Uh, and we moved there in 2011. Yeah. Um, how was how it that you even heard? Because I think a lot of Americans, a lot of Westerners, they've never even heard of Papua Indonesia. Maybe they've heard of the other side of the island, Papua New Guinea, but how, right. how did you even hear? About well, at that time, we had been, we were, we, we were talking to a lot of our missionary friends, mm -hmm. uh, and I, one specific, one particular friend uh, told me about Papua. Mm -hmm. And because we had looked at uh, Suriname, yeah. We had looked at South, uh, South America, Cameroon, yeah, yeah in yeah. Africa, uh -huh. uh, because I wanted to specifically look at tribal ministries. Yeah, I wanted to go to a place where they didn't even know how to turn a doorknob mm -hmm. or hold a pencil. That kind of people, mm -hmm. and uh, so we set our eyes on those particular places. And uh, at the time, uh, uh, a friend said, "Well, here's Papua Indonesia." Yeah. And I said, well, give me all you got. Yeah. And he sent me all this stuff, and I just started reading and looking, and I said, we need to pursue this. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and it was the providence of God because uh, Suriname and Cameroon fell off the radar, mm -hmm. and Papua was just, you know, he was like a beacon in the night. Yeah. And so we pursued that, and the Lord ended up putting us in the Korowai tribe yeah. uh, and still currently. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's where we've been serving. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. Well, tell us just maybe a little bit about what what it was because you're not I mean you're here in the States now I think you've maybe given some updates about your health situation right. um, but what was it like like living from day to day ministering to an unreached tribal group a, a people that very much lived in darkness they were ignorant of the scriptures they did not know God they did not know Christ so what was it like from day to day ministering to those people yes uh, I think one word would sum it up it was hard yeah. Uh, it still is hard. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, you know, that kind of ministry. Now, your ministry uh, is also difficult. There's no ministry mm -hmm. where you're going to preach the gospel that it's just going to be a bed of roses. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that from Scripture. Yeah. Just from First Peter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, moving into that particular uh, people group, uh, we noticed right away that the adults were very closed. Mm -hmm. And it was the children were more receptive mm -hmm. to the, the teaching. Yeah. That doesn't mean we don't have believers that are adults now. Yeah. But it, it took many years to see that fruit come to fruition. Mm -hmm. um, and now we do have, praise the Lord, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we do have several believers mm -hmm. uh, in the northern region and some carrying on the work in the church now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, now, it, it was very difficult. Were the, were the adults, were they closed off because they were just not interested or did they, 
did they have other like superstitions and myths and things like that that yeah. kind of shape their worldview and shape their understanding? Yeah, it, you know, trying to get into the head of a Korowai and understand their worldview yeah. and the way they think was very difficult. Yeah. It still is to this day, even after trying to study their language for so long. Uh, but they come from an animistic background. They worship one evil spirit um, that is the creator and sustainer of all. He, and it's, it's, a, it's an appeasement process mm -hmm. to where we have to appease this uh, evil spirit or we will not receive the blessing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like appeased with sacrifices, right? Appeased with, with sacrifices, okay. pigs, uh, different kinds of foods. Uh, you know, they would hang uh, bones on the rafters of their ha houses. Mm -hmm. uh, they would sacrifice pig heads. Yeah. Uh, when they would see that fat dissolved, they believed Sipe was pleased with them, that evil spirit, mm. and that they would have success in you know their gardens and their family in everyday life. Uh, it, it was always based on fear. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fear just gripped these people. It was so dark, so demonic. And how do you tell the people about it? Like, how, do you, how do you start? What do you do with those kind of people? Mm -hmm. um, and so we just moved through salvation history, very simple, because yeah. these were a literate people group. Yeah, so you would, ju you would just gather them together, we would just gather and, together and just teach um, them slowly, and, teach them the scriptures. Right, and, and I can't say, I, I do have to go back and say that we work with a team from the National Church in Papua. Yeah. These men and women, yeah. they set the foundation. Yeah. You know, I, I, I consider myself kind of like a, a waterer in a mm -hmm. sense because... Right. More the, of like an Apollo Yes, type exactly. Yeah. Because they were the ones in the early 2000s that set the initial stage to, to mm -hmm. go into this dark, remote place mm -hmm. where nobody ever contacted these people since the 70s mm -hmm. and uh, plant themselves in there with just the little bit they had, you know, the clothes and medicine they had with them. Yeah. Uh, they're the ones that set the initial st uh, stage for yeah. us type missionaries to come in. Yeah. Um, so you got to give all the glory to, uh, to God for those people that he's raised up mm -hmm. uh, that now we still work with in these lowland regions. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no. Well, you know, I... As far as Papua, you and I, you've been there, you've been in my mm -hmm. village, we've done a lot together. Mm -hmm. You've seen what God has done, some of the fruit yeah. born out of the efforts there. Yeah. What about, because you've been to a lot more places in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. What about as Indonesia as a whole, as you travel around to these partic particular people groups and churches and brethren and try to disciple them and train them, yeah. are the people in those particular places, are they receptive to the gospel? Um, or are they closed off? Yeah, you know, um, I would say for the most part, like, like the people that I have interacted with and the places that I've been and and the places that I've taught, um, for the most part, people have been very eager to hear hmm. God's Word. Now, there's always, I, I think there's always, whenever you're teaching the Scriptures, there's always, it's in a sense, it's a spiritual battle. Because the evil one does not want people to hear God's word. He does not want people to grow yes. in the knowledge of the truth. And so oftentimes, I mean, everyone who teaches God word, God's word, whether you're in Indonesia or in America or wherever you are, you face this reality. Mm. Um, people, I mean, whether it's they get sleepy or they are distracted by something. Mm. And so you encounter that everywhere you go, really. Mm. But I would say for the most part, the people are very eager and willing to listen to mm. God's Word. Mm. Um, and, and it's mostly because I'm uh, the people that I'm teaching are pastors, 
Um, and sometimes I go to different churches and things like that, and I teach the scriptures. Mm. And so these are already people that openly identify with Christ. Now, there, there is, in Indonesia, and, and maybe a lot of people don't know this, because when they think of Indonesia, they think that it's just a Muslim country. Right. But there are a number of different people groups in Indonesia that are Christian in name. And so... Along with there being a lot of genuine believers in those people groups, there are a lot of people who are just, you know, they're just nominal. And so people like that would not really be so much interested That's the in hearing kete, God's word. Ke, yeah. yeah, the katepe. Katepe. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they, in Indonesia they call them orang kristen katepe, and yeah. the katepe is just your identity card. And so in Indonesia you have to have your religion on your identity card, and mm. so that's why. So there's just identity card Christians is all that they are. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, but, that, but that's everywhere. You know, it's everywhere in Indonesia, it's all over right. the world, Africa, South America, North America. Yeah. 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 So in, in the last 10 years, you know, you've you've been training and, and ministering to these men and yeah. the churches and the, their their families for the last 10 years. What what stands out as some of the uh, some of the spiritual fruit mm-hmm. that would just be on kind of top of your mind yeah. as you that you've witnessed? Yeah. You know, um, I think after probably two or three years of doing this, like uh, there were there were many times where I thought in my head, I don't know if any good is coming about from the ministry that I'm doing in this country. But I think that since I've been there 10 years, I've been able to look back and to see just how God has slowly matured people, how God has raised up certain pastors in certain areas. And, and we, as HeartCry, in partnership with a local church in Indonesia, we've even sent out mm-hmm. uh, a missionary to another to another country and that missionary is bearing uh, bearing wonderful fruit in mm. that country. And so as I, I just look back on 10 years of ministry, which in reality, 10 years is not that long. I mean, right. It's, right. it's gone by in a flash. It it's not very long. But as I look back on that period of time, it is so encouraging to see how God has matured so many people. And God has done so using His Word in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, I mean, that's why I teach God's Word, because I believe that it's not only the power of God for salvation, but it's able to grow and to mature God's people and to nurture them so that they, as it says in Ephesians 4, they grow up into mature manhood into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so, you know, I've gone to... Uh, with Kevin there in uh, mm. in the Mentawai Islands, and we've taught pastors there. I've been to Borneo, uh, Kalimantan, um, and I've taught people there, uh, pastors as well as just lay people there. I've been all over Sulawesi to teach there, all over Java and Bali. Timor-Leste. And Timor-Leste, Papua. And so in each of these places, um, I still have very close friends, and it's just encouraging to see where they are spiritually and just to see how God has used them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so so to me, that's, that's the most encouraging thing about yeah, it is just God's people and how he's used them and grown them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the, I would think, uh, on the same lines as you in regard to what the Lord has done in Papua. Yeah. Um, yeah. To see, you know, mine, mine is more isolated, but, you know, there are 20-some, 24 villages among the Korowai, but we, mm-hmm. you know, have been focusing on the north uh, for the past 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, working with those churches and, and uh, leaders as well. Yeah. And to watch them grow. Uh, in the scriptures and to understand you know it's a it's a daily 
it's a daily exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you and I, just like those men and women that we minister, we need the scriptures daily yeah. so that we can grow and be sanctified. And mm-hmm. um, to watch, to watch those Korowai, you know, as we move through salvation history, mm-hmm. understand some, uh, understand the stories, and even ask questions that even guys from some seminaries don't ask. Yeah, it blew me away sitting there and just listening to them ask these difficult questions. Mm-hmm. It really challenged me and. Uh, loved every minute of it Mm -hmm. uh, to watch them grow Mm -hmm. so now we have not only those uh, men that we taught for years through salvation history uh, they didn't stop with just the stories they're now moving into their own people their own villages and tree houses Mm -hmm. and teaching rotating on Sundays and teaching their people yeah which is uh, what we want that's the goal yeah so yeah Yeah. why don't you talk a little bit about uh, why Hugh and just how God has not only saved him, converted him, but uh, just how he's, it seems like he's raising him up as a leader. It, it appears to be, yeah. Wahi yeah. Ta'amo, he's, he's like a son to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really lived with us for uh, many years on and off uh, as we, uh, we did a lot together. He's like family. Uh, we trained him since the start mm-hmm. uh, through the scriptures. And uh, he's one of the ones, that he's very detail-oriented. He's the only Korowai I know yeah. that is meticulous about things. I yeah. mean, when he works, it has to be done right. It has to be mm-hmm. done straight. And so he took that same uh, discipline to when he learns the Bible. Yeah, He wants to understand it. He wants to do it correctly. Yeah. And that's bled over into now how he teaches his people. Mm. Um, so, so he, he, he he's... Uh he, he's living in uh, Donawaga now? Yeah, or? he's back in Donawaga. Okay. He's a young man. He's probably 20. Uh, we're not sure what day he was born, but it looks like he was born in 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. He was born in a treehouse, mm-hmm. and he was saved, uh, converted around at, while he was a teenager. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy also, Jimmy and Perrin also, the, our team there, part of our team, mm-hmm. they also discipled him mm-hmm. and nurtured him. And then we had the privilege also to teach him on a daily basis. Uh, he helped me learn the language. Uh, we trained him in medical. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a vital part of me. He became one of the team members. Mm-hmm. And then the time came where we wanted to send him to further education. Yeah. So we yeah. sent him off to Bible school in the town. Yeah. And he spent uh, over three years in Bible school. Uh-huh. Now he's back. He's back in Nanawake, and he is okay. now under the leadership of Jimmy, yeah. uh, one of the missionaries there, uh, being trained and continue to mm-hmm. teach weekly and uh, lead the church yeah, yeah so lord willing you know he'll be the first northern Korowai pastor yeah yeah well praise the lord yeah it's yeah. exciting to see and it's uh, another encouraging thing about um the ministry there is just how god has grown jimmy um i remember the first time we uh spent or first time i spent time with jimmy mm. um we went into the Mombramo. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right, I remember so that too. Up, up north uh, in the northern area. And I remember we uh, we traveled to one place. We flew into one place. It was on a river. We got on a boat, crossed the river over to the other side, and there was a church there. Yes. And um, we asked Jimmy if he would preach that night. And he was so nervous. He was nervous. And he just he had he no confidence at all and he was so nervous um and i, f- I felt like it was it was a really good i mean just hearing him teach was just in- even encouraging at that time but he is so different isn't he now oh he's it's totally different i mean yeah. he's he's not only grown and he is growing mm-hmm. uh but he is 
he is just very bold and um, teaching every day, sometimes two or three times a day. Yeah. And not only teaching on Sundays, but he does uh, house-to-house ministry in the mm-hmm. villages. Uh, he does. Um, he holds Bible studies every night. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really grown in his faith and in his in his confidence to be able to articulate the truth to these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just a difference between night and day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah that, you know, uh, ministry in a village context like that, uh, like the house to house visits, is something that I, I really like. Whenever I go into a village and visit with people, that's something that I really love. I, right, I remember. Yeah. Uh, Whenever uh, Francisco, the brother that we work with in Timor-Leste, when he lived in the eastern part of uh, the country in like a smaller village, so I would go and visit him and we would have like uh, seminars for three, four days and we would just teach Mm. the scriptures. But every night uh, we would walk around and we would just visit everyone along the road and we would stop, we would share the scriptures with them, we would pray for them if they had any, Mm. any physical illness, we would... Mm. you know lay hands on them and pray for them and things like that and it's just i mean ministry in that type of context is is totally different in some ways than ministry in a large urban area where i live in java yeah 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 we you know um you know you and i've been there now for over a decade yeah um and you know we both work with men and women that we would consider teammates. I mean, you you have mm-hmm. many of those people on the islands that you yeah. that you're really close with that you talk to daily, mm-hmm. and so do I. And so we've been there quite a while. But what now that looking back, you know, it's been it's been ten years. Mm-hmm. And if you had the opportunity to look back and um, to see those ten years in a glass, mm-hmm. what would you do differently? Yeah. What would you start doing differently? Yeah. What do you see as something you say, I I just would do that totally different yeah. now? So for um, for about seven years of our time in on Java, um, we were involved with a house church. And um, that was something that was kind of spearheaded um, um, by me and... Uh, there was one other brother who who helped at the beginning as well, who who was a foreign missionary also, um, but he left a year later to go back to the U.S. And so we were involved with this house church for seven years, and there there was so much good that came out of it. Like it was it was like a family each and every week as we gathered together to study the scriptures and to worship God. And so there's so much about that house church that was a great blessing to me personally and spiritually. Mm-hmm. It was a great blessing to my wife personally and spiritually. But when I look back on the way that we did ministry, um, I feel like it's not something that should be replicated mm-hmm. because we were the we were the the cross-cultural missionaries who were there. And so m- almost all of the ministry that took place in the context of that house church, it was something that, that I did, or if it was like cooking and things mm. like that, it was something yeah. that my wife did. And I don't think that that's healthy. Um, we, we were, I think in our minds at the time, we were trying to give a good example to the people of how to, how to do ministry and how to be a servant and things like that. But at the same time, it it caused a dependence upon us that was unhealthy. And so, you know, um, even now we're praying about um, 
another church plant in another place, yes. another yes. part of Indonesia. Right. And so that is not something that I'm going to replicate. From the very beginning, my desire is to have a man who is in a position, an Indonesian man who is in the position to be the pastor. Mm. And so I, I always think of, there was a really good illustration that Hudson Taylor gave mm. in his two-volume biography. He said that the, the cross-cultural missionary was like a scaffold. Right, so you're building a building and you have this scaffold. The scaffold is only temporary. It's not meant to be there long term. And so as soon as the building is, is, is finished, you just take away the scaffold. Mm-hmm. And that really is the role of a cross-cultural worker. Mm-hmm. And so my desire is to, to continue to mentor whoever might be the, the pastor of mm-hmm. this church plant and to, to teach occasionally as is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but not to be the one out front all the time doing the ministry. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I know there's, if all, all missionaries were honest, there's no missionary that would say, mm-hmm. I have done everything right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no missionary absolutely. that's ever done that. Yeah, what, what about um, you? What would, what would be something that you would go back and just and change, do differently? Um, two things come to mind. I think two, it's twofold. Number one, I would pray more. Yeah. I, I look at the, and I even wrote about this a little bit, I, I've missed so many opportunities just to be alone with God and pray. Mm. Because, I mean, there's that old saying, you know, tribes are one to Christ because the missionary is on his knees. Mm. Um, I would give myself to prayer more yeah. if I could do it all over again. Yeah. And the second thing... Um, you know, I, I don't... I don't know of any missionary that would that would say any different than that. Really, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. I just I see it in my own life. Yeah, um, yeah. that the reliance on his power, his work, in prayer was mm-hmm. was uh, it could have been more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how many opportunities, you know, that were missed simply because I thought the daily events were more important mm-hmm. than being along with God. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's one of the areas. The second one would probably be, uh, you know, I was so gung-ho to preach. I go over there. My church sent me to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. That was my desire. And I think my my intent was so zealous that a lot of times I wanted to preach, but I didn't listen. Yeah. I didn't it, you listen, mean listen to, the, to the people. To the people, yeah. Especially to the team, uh, you know, our team. I would just listen more and be there more for them. Yeah. Uh, Instead of trying to just, you know, this is why I'm here. I need to do this job. I would have just slowed things down, and just allowed to build mm-hmm. a better relationship at the start, and just to be with them more, understand them more, listen to them more. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of thinking, here's what I've got to do, and I've got to do it, because that's a lot. You know, I mean, you know, that's an American yeah. mindset. A lot. Yeah. We go with what we want to do, and and we want to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's just wrong kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. We we must just step back and say, Lord, uh, you know, we need to pray. Mm-hmm. We need to focus on growing in the scriptures, praying, and just listening to people. Yeah, amen. Um, amen. So that's what I would change. Yeah, I think so often we come with our agenda, and it's it's not the same agenda as the the indigenous mm-hmm. people. It's not right. like they. It's not, and um, sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes they're wrong. But um, I think it. It shows humility when you're able to say, you know what, this is my agenda, but I'm going to humbly try to serve these people. And if if they think that, you know, doing something else mm. is what's needed, then I'm going to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. What, uh, you know, being on the mission field uh, is not easy. Yeah. It's a different, you know, the, the people are different, the culture's different, mm-hmm. everything's different. And, you know, my mom said to me, she said something very wise uh, because I was raised as a missionary kid mm-hmm. and I didn't understand all that at the time. She said to me one day, she said, when I said I want to go to Indonesia, to Papua, mm-hmm. she said, give it six months. And she was right. She, she meant like stateside State, as you were Yeah, get, when you get over there. Oh, okay, when you get over when there. When you live there, give it six months to get acclimated, to get adjusted. Yeah. You know, uh, all the things are going to be different. And she was right. Six mm-hmm. months was about the time to where you felt like you could transition into a phase where, what have I done? You know, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing. Especially when you've had uh, stomach problems for two months straight and yeah. you're going back and forth to the hospital. Uh, give it six months to get acclimated. And mm-hmm. she was right. Um, what do you, you know, being on that, those kinds, some of those fields mm-hmm. come with different types of trials and sufferings. Yeah, yeah. Whether that be sickness, yeah. um, discouragements, different kinds of trials and, and people that you minister to. What, when you've gone through those specific things, whether mm-hmm. that be sickness, those trials, anytime, anything, yeah. what are some of... Um, what are some scriptures that come to mind or some of those texts that really just comfort you as yeah. as a not only as just minute, but as a, as a believer in Christ? Yeah, yeah. What are some of those texts? Well, um, you know, I, I read earlier that you were going to ask this question, and so I was thinking about it. Um, and I cannot remember, like, like you, you know that our first year there, um, probably every month I had Giardia. Yeah, that's why I was, yeah. And, I, see, that's one of the reasons I asked you this, because I knew you had gone through yeah. a lot of issues at the beginning. And so that uh, developed into something called tropical sprue, where I wasn't absorbing, like, nutrients or anything. And yeah. so I was just forgetting everything. And it was it was really frustrating for Amanda. It, um, but... It, you know, I don't even remember like what I was thinking <laughs> during that time right. here. But but I know like probably two years ago, um, just going through a bit of discouragement, um, there was a verse that uh, that I was as I was just reading through the New Testament, um, and this is a well-known verse, um, but it, I think it's well known for a reason because mm. it's so encouraging. But this is uh, the Apostle Paul, um, and this is Second Corinthians chapter one. Um, in verse number 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And so here's Paul saying, I mean, we think of Paul as this great, bold missionary who just went into dangerous, dark places and preached the gospel. And he was just, like we think of him like a... Uh, like a navy, a spiritual navy seal or something like that. But here he's saying that he was so burdened and afflicted that he just wanted to die. Mm-hmm. He didn't even want to be alive mm-hmm. anymore. And he says in verse nine, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. 
You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so he just he's basically saying God has allowed this to happen and he's allowed this to happen um, so that we would depend not upon ourselves but upon God mm, who gives good. us his strength. And, and so this really was something that I was I, re, I distinctly remember I was going through a period of discouragement and I read this and I felt that God I mean I mean I shouldn't have felt it I should have known that God was speaking through his word mm. to me and he was saying Matt you're this is not the only despair you're going to experience the only discouragement you're going to experience but it's going to happen over and over again until you learn that you cannot depend upon yourself but you must depend upon mm. me mm. yeah yeah, that's so good. that's that's just one text that mm. kind of comes to mind readily, and, and you know there are others. Uh, I mean, you know how God uses His right. word. Sure. I mean, Absolutely. He. Uh, yeah. I cannot tell you the number of times where I've been reading the scriptures in the morning, and it's and you can just it's very obvious that God He even delayed your reading or sped it up so that at that particular moment in time you would be at that particular chapter, <laughs> yes. and so He and He speaks to you mm. through it. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. That, yeah, that's just one verse. What about you? Well, the, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like you, and so, a lot of those sicknesses, my mind wasn't there. Yeah. So I really wasn't thinking about anything. Uh, I think when my mind was there uh, during those sicknesses would have been on the field mm-hmm. more so, too. Um, and that would, have, that would have been in 2 Corinthians 11. That verse is stu- that that chapter has just stuck with me for so many years, yeah. Uh, because here you have the Apostle Paul, and he out and he just lays out all these things, uh, all these kinds of sufferings. But then at the latter part of that section, he says, "But then there is my daily anxiety for all the churches." Mm. So all of that suffering he takes, he endures, he he puts up with for the gospel. Yeah. Uh, then he says. Really, that's my. Here's my real concern: is for the churches. I, you know, that's just little compared to my concern for the churches. Mm-hmm. I have anxiety to see these churches grow yeah. and to mature in the faith. Yeah. And so I, I kind of, uh, as living in the village and some this northern area, uh, just took heart to those that section of how Paul's heart was for these churches and mm-hmm. um, and would say. Make me like this because I want my concern to be for these Korowite, um not only shepherds but believers mm-hmm. in these churches to grow and to mature. Even if I have to endure the worst suffering, yeah, uh, Lord, make me like that. I want to. I want to have that same type of desire, that same type of concern mm-hmm. that Paul did for the churches yeah. in my local setting. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and you know the 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 people. Um, and it's really it's like this everywhere. The people know if you're concerned for them or if you're yes. not. Yes, they'll it, see it. I mean, I mean, they'll many people. Uh, I mean, you know this. They just play a religious game, or um, they're busy about certain things, but they're not really concerned for the people. They don't have a love for the people that they're ministering to, and, and that's a dangerous position to be in. Very dangerous. Yeah. Yes. And so they, they, they realize, they recognize if you have a concern for them right. or not, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we talk about suffering, you know, and First Peter says we've been called to this. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we don't want to, maybe talking this way will really uh, refine um, who goes because let's face it, you know, a lot of people have a romantic view of missions. Mm-hmm. When they go into missions, they think it's going to be this way and they're so excited and mm-hmm. they have that mindset that's different, mm-hmm. but it really hits home when something uh, really hard presses in on them. Yeah. Uh, going through those particular sufferings and while ministering, now you look back and say, okay, I, I went through those, according to First Peter, uh, We've been called to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul said, I, you know, in Romans 8, I, uh, the, these aren't compared, the sufferings that I endure aren't compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, the needs because, you know, uh, we want to see people that are, that are in, not only just interested, but really have a heart to be a part of the work. Yeah. Despite what they hear about sickness and hardships. Yeah. What are some of the needs that you've seen throughout Indonesia that you would say, this is a need, Yeah. let's get people... You, you mean needs as far as like ministry? Yes, ministry needs. needs. Yeah. 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 What, are, what are some of the ministry needs throughout yeah. Indonesia that you can tell people, hey, here's a need, mm-hmm. in the, we need this in Indonesia, whether it be, we need more missionaries mm-hmm. to preach. Yeah. Well, what would you say? I mean, one of the greatest needs is uh, Bible translation. Um, there are, I think, 728 different languages in Indonesia. Now, I don't think there's a need to have a Bible translation in each one of those languages because, as you know, there are many Indonesians who um, who speak the language of Indonesia, Bahasa Indonesia, just as well as they speak their own mother right. tongue. And right. so they have access to the right. scriptures. They have access... Uh, to the gospel. Um, but I remember, uh, so I went several times to East Timor, and um, maybe some people don't know the history of East Timor, but it was originally a Portuguese colony, whereas uh, Indonesia itself was a Dutch colony. And so there, mm. I mean, for hundreds of years, there was a separation there. And then Indonesia gained its independence um, officially in uh, 1945. And then Timor-Leste was still colonized by the Dutch at that, at that period of time until probably the 1960s. And then in the 1960s, uh, not the, did I say the Dutch, the Portuguese. Then in the 1960s, the Portuguese left Timor-Leste and in, the Indonesian army came in. And so there was a civil war for about 30 years or so. Um, There's a lot of conflict. Um, there were, you know, a lot of human rights violations mm. against the, the Timorese people. Mm. But then in 2002, East Timor gained its independence. And so even though it's there in the Indonesian archipelago, it's a separate country. It's an independent country. Right. And so since the separation, Indonesian is not taught in the schools anymore. And so less and less people speak Indonesian. Even the older people there don't speak Indonesian that well. And so I would go into the eastern part of the country and we would be teaching the scriptures and we would be teaching from the Indonesian Bible because that's the only scriptures that they had. But there were many people who were sitting there and they could not understand Mm. uh, the scriptures. Mm. And so there is a great need for people like that to have the Bible in mm. their own language. Mm. And, and so and many of them were older. They had been believers for, you know, decades. Mm. But all of that time they, they didn't have the scriptures in their own language. Mm. 
And so there's a great need for Bible translation all over Indonesia. I think, um, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but there are hundreds of language groups that need the Bible yeah. in their own language. Well, and even Papua. Yeah. If you just take Papua New Guinea with Papua as a whole, that whole island, yeah. from the turkey head to the tail, yeah. uh, it has 15% of the world's languages. Yes, yeah, it's the most densely yeah, it's the most dense linguistically. Yeah, exactly. pop- yeah. So there's huge efforts from Papua, like that saying is from Aceh to Marauke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, what what other needs? Is there any other needs that people could be aware of? I mean, I, I, th- I think just Bible teaching, um, good clear Bible teaching is what's needed. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of churches in Indonesia. Um, many of them do faithfully teach the scriptures. Many of them don't. And so there's a need to teach the Bible. There's a need to train pastors. There's a need to train evangelists, um, church planters. Um, that, I think, will always yeah. be a need. Um, and so, yeah. So I think what Indonesia needs uh, are people who know God's Word. And whether they're involved in teaching the Bible or translating the Bible, but people who know God's Word and whose lives have been shaped by God's Word. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone's listening to this and they say, well, I I could do that, Um, you know, maybe they've already talked to their elders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe they're considering going full-time in a cross-cultural mission. What what kind of appeal would you give to that person? Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you say to them first? Yeah. If they're the, the desire to go. Well, the first thing that I would say is is try to be useful where you are. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not useful and fruitful where you are. If you're not useful and fruitful where you yeah. are, you're not going to help uh, the people of Indonesia. Um, right. You know. And so I think a lot of times that's why, um, like, when you try to get a visa in Indonesia, there are certain stipulations that the government puts upon you, like you need to have this, you need to have this number of years of experience. Uh, Like even teaching in a school in Indonesia, you have to have been a teacher for five years. And and so I, I think the point, though, that they're making is they're like, like, why would you send somebody over here to do this when they can't even do it in your own country? I, I think that's the point. Yeah. And so I, I think that's applicable as well to missionaries. Like, mm-hmm. why would you be sent out as a missionary if you're not even useful and fruitful where mm-hmm. you are? Right. And so, so that's the first thing. Yeah, so you just tell say. them, be, be, um, grow, study the Bible, pray, and serve in your church where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Would, you, would you add anything? Well, no, that's, I think that's, that's where you should start. Yeah. Uh, they should be humble enough to say, if I have to clean toilets mm-hmm. uh, in my church, that's where I'll start. Because, yeah. um, you know, they should be in line with the always submitting to the elders mm-hmm. and growing and being discipled, groomed, and mentored yeah. under the elders to prepare them for that particular work. Yeah. Uh, so that's where that's where mm-hmm. they should start. So yeah. I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What uh so we've you know, we've pretty much covered uh a lot of areas what we've experienced on the field and what mm-hmm. we've seen and we want people to be involved in the needs uh of Indonesia through prayer. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked that question, how do we, how can we appeal to some people? Yeah. What would you say to them? Because there are some that perhaps watching that would be uh, saying, oh, I, I never considered Indonesia. Yeah. I want to preach the gospel. I want to be a nurse and, and minister to people and, 
and tell people about Christ, uh, they don't know what to do. Maybe they don't know where to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but we want people to be involved with the needs in prayer as well. Yeah. Um, what can you tell? You know, you've talked a little bit about Timor Leste. Mm -hmm. What's that need that they can be involved in in prayer with Timor Leste right now? And then maybe give us yeah. one in Indonesia or so. Okay. Yeah. So, so in Timor Leste, um, so as I said, we we were there. We were teaching the Bible, and um, we saw that there were so many people who did not understand the Indonesian Bible. They spoke uh, the Makasai language, which is just one of the, I think, 32 different languages in Timor-Leste. And how many people speak that language? About 100,000 100, people. So quite a few people like, speak okay, this language. People. And that's 100,000 people that do not have the scriptures, um, basically do not have the scriptures in any language that they can understand. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, I, I, let me backtrack a little bit. A lot of those people do understand the Indonesian Bible. But it's just not to the point where it would be there. Yeah their lingua franca type deal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's not even to that okay. point. Yeah. And so in, uh, I forgot how long ago it was, but we started a, a project to translate the Bible yeah. into the Makasai language. And so my involvement was just in training the, the Bible translation team. Um, initially, there were about 10 people who were part of the team. Um, and most of those people are still involved in some way. But week in and week out, there are four people um, who are on this team who are gathering together each week. They, they, I think they've made it through Matthew chapter 17. They started at the they started beginning. started chapter 1, and now chapter they're one. in 17. Chapter 17, wow. yeah. And so week in and week out, they... Uh, they um, talk about uh, the best way to word or to phrase um, the scriptures. And um, and so if you, if you want to pray for them, pray that God will give them wisdom. I mean, Bible translation is not an easy yes. thing. And this is really their first time translating into the Makasai language. And wow. so it's, it's definitely going to be a learning process for them. I'm sure that... Uh, Three years from now, they're going to read what they have translated thus far, mm. and they're going to they're going to alter a lot of that sure. um, because yeah. God will will grow them over yes. time. Yes. Um, but but it is it, it's a it's a it's a long many year project, and it's going to take ten fifteen years to translate the New yeah. Testament. The average the average New Testament Papua took fifteen to twenty. Wow. So it's wow. uh, yeah, this is a huge project and one that uh, yeah. people can pray for. Yeah, but but I'm really thankful for uh, for Francisco, who is kind of the the head of the team there. Mm. He is a, he's a pastor in the church there in in Dili, and then he's also a translator. And so he's not he's not isolated from the people. He, he it's his mo it's his own mother tongue, and he ministers in this language mm. as well as some other languages. Mm. Being in the capital city, and so um, I'm very thankful for him and just his zeal to get yeah. God's word in his his own language. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, another another area we can let uh, people know about would be. You know, you and I have been working on this uh, Indonesian Bible project, yeah. and more or less for Papua, yeah. uh, because we saw a need where, through the working with the church there, uh, many schools and villages in these remote locations don't have enough Bibles mm -hmm. uh, to read God's Word and to study it. So we've invested in that, uh, and now we have we're purchasing 6,800 Bibles. Yeah. 
But the th- the thing about that this 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 project with passing out Bibles, you know, it's not just about passing out Bibles. Although we want to do that, we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was thinking of uh, the scripture in Acts to where um, you know the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. You know, someone explained it to me. Mm-hmm. You remember that section yeah. in scripture? Yeah. yeah. You Acts know, chapter eight. Right. Acts chapter eight and. That's what we want. We want people to be able to, when they open God's Word and read it, we also want them to be able to understand it. Mm-hmm. Who's going to explain it to them? How are they going to understand how to study the Scriptures? Mm-hmm. So that's where we have been passionate about. You and I and several others have been passionate about uh, doing some training mm-hmm. along with passing out these Bibles. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we can't get in right now due to the to the virus. Everything's kind of yeah. Put on hold for that side yeah. of the ministry. Yeah, so, so we'd originally planned to go in May, right? That's right. We'd in May. planned to go and do three weeks of training uh-huh. to teach them how to study and read the Bible. Mm-hmm. That was put on hold, and now we're waiting for the appropriate time again yeah. as to when that will be. So our really this Indonesian Bible project is twofold. It's not just passing out Bibles and we're done. We don't want to think like that. We want to follow up. And we want to be consistent with the training of how to teach them mm-hmm. to read and study the Bible. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, our if I remember correctly, our original plan was to, uh, with the first stage of passing out the Bibles, was to um, to preach the gospel at all right. of these different locations that's where right. we are handing out Bibles, and and so. May, I guess it was more of like an evangelistic type thrust. Correct. But then the second stage was to train, have training for pastors. Um, yes. Now, I don't know if any of that's going to happen with, with the way that things are right now. Um, and so that's a that's a massive prayer need. We just need to pray that God yes. would help. Indon- Indonesia has been hit tremendously hard by the virus in the last few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people, even pe- friends of mine, have died. Mm-hmm. There in Java, other parts of Indonesia, and so we just need to pray that God would help the people of Indonesia with this virus situation, that He would open up the borders, that people like us could once again uh, go back on short-term trips. Now, my family and I are processing, uh, or we're hoping to begin processing our long-term visas, and mm-hmm. so that's a, that's another separate mm-hmm. issue altogether. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so let's just pray we can. Uh, f- move forward with that teaching and also pray that uh, God would prepare the hearts for each person that's going to receive a copy Yeah, and yeah. for those that are going to follow up and teach in their own specific villages uh, to these children and adults that are going to receive the copy mm-hmm. of God's Word in Indonesian. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to uh, join us in prayer uh, for these needs, we'd be very thankful. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget to pray for Indonesia for uh, not only just these specific needs that we've mentioned, but ask God, according to Luke chapter 10, that he would raise up more laborers and send them to these places throughout Indonesia. Thousands of islands, many places. You could point your finger on a map, and uh, there is always a need for someone with um, the opportunity to open God's Word and just explain the gospel. So pray for those needs. Pray for the Indonesian Bible Project. Pray for the translation in the Makassai language. And uh, also pray that God would send out more laborers. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to Updates from the Field. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions 
and to find out more about Heart Cry Missionary Society.